And now, a message from Pastor Michael Carmody. Once again, great to see everyone this morning. Thank you for coming and being part of our service today. More importantly, thank you for being a faithful part of God's kingdom. Because I'll tell you what, kingdom people make a difference. And I appreciate, uh, you know, the statement that was made today about what we did. A group of us yesterday went and did the, the Feed My Starving Children thing. 122 children fed for a year. That's amazing. That's an, that's an incredible thing. And you know what? Not only that, but um, the local pack areas, when, they, when the Feed My Starving Children bring a mobile pack into an area, they count on that area to provide the funding for all the food and for all the expenses. And so uh, you also contributed financially to that and made that happen. So God bless you. Thank you. Isn't that awesome? Yes. That's a great, great opportunity. All right. So this morning, um, we are in a new series. Started last week. What's that series called? Make Room. Make room. Right. Um, and the whole idea kind of, and Pastor Josh did a great job last week. I'm not going to try to summarize what he taught last week as he launched this series. You can go online and you can watch that. In fact, if you weren't here last Sunday, I would encourage you to go back and watch that. Even if you were here, it wouldn't be a bad idea to go look at that. But basically, we know the story, right? Jesus uh, is born in a manger because there's what at the end? No room. And so the idea kind of is sometimes we do the same thing. Sometimes we kind of squeeze Jesus out, kind of push him out. We don't make room for him to do in our lives what he really wants to do and really what we need him to do. Could I get a witness in here about that? And so um, we were talking on this subject, and today my subject for a very few minutes is going to be on the subject of making room for God's word in our lives, specifically making room for the Bible. Everybody say Bible. So the Bible is important. The Bible is God's word to us, yes? yes. I want to read a passage, and this passage, well, you won't see this on the screen, so just listen. Um, this is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 17, and it's Jesus actually praying to the Father, and it's an incredible prayer because he actually prays for you in this prayer. He prays not only for those who are believers in Jesus at that moment, but he says, all those who will believe in me because of their word of them. We believe in Jesus today because of them. So he was praying for us. And in that prayer, there's a, there's a little bit to this. The last bit is what I want us to get to, but just a few verses. This is John 17, verse 13. And Jesus in his prayer says, but now I am coming to you, Father, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy complete in themselves. So he says, I'm saying this so that my people can have joy. Look around the house. Look at the joy in the house this morning. Tis the season to be jolly and joyful, right? Um, I have given them your word. I have given them your word. I have given them your word. Jesus said the stuff that I was saying, Father, that was your word to your people. This is an incredible thing. I have given them your word. Then kind of takes a little dark turn. And the world has hated them. Uh, the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. So you know what? We Christians, we should not be surprised when the world doesn't like us. Let's not expect the world to celebrate our faith. They didn't celebrate Jesus' faith. They're not going to celebrate ours either, right? Uh, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't have it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't walk in faith, right? So it's going to hate us. That's, that's fine. The world can hate us. Hate are going to hate, hate. Anyway, verse 15. <laughs> I am not asking you to take them out of the world, so let's not us be asking Jesus to take us out of the world. Jesus said, I'm not asking them, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Leave them here. They got what they got a job to do. They got stuff they got to take care of. Leave them here. We shouldn't be we shouldn't be praying, oh Jesus, come and get us. Oh Jesus, come soon. We just live our life and make a difference. This world isn't as bad as you think it is. Jesus is in control and he wants to do amazing things. It's just that the world hates you. So I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. That's enough. 
Jesus prayed that the Father would protect us from the evil one. Done deal. I believe God's going to answer that prayer. Somebody say something about that. Amen. Then we get in verse 16. They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. So we're in one with him. And then he says this in verse 17. Here's the, the point that I want to get to. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And so just right out of the gate, let me just say that the word of God has the wonderful opportunity, the, the wonderful power in our lives to sanctify us, which means really in, in this whole context of what Jesus is talking about, the idea of sanctify here is not necessarily make us prudish or make us uh, some weird thing, but the idea of the sanctification is to help us to understand that we have been separated from the world. We have been separated apart for God's purposes. And the world takes whatever direction it's going to take that does not affect us in any way. We don't respond or retaliate to what the world does. We live the word. And when we live the word, we shine a light in darkness. You can stand and scream at the darkness all you want to. You can post, uh, post stuff on social media and you can scream at the darkness all you want to. It doesn't change a thing. What changes something is when we light the light of God's word and God's love in our lives and let that make a difference around us, that's when the world begins to change. That's right, preacher. You say that. That's right. So... So the word of God has this ability to sanctify us, to set us apart from the world. We don't retaliate, we don't respond in kind like the world does. The world is not our enemy. The world is the place that God created for us to live, for us to make a difference. If we look at the world as an enemy, yes, it hates us, but Jesus taught us to love those who hate you. And even though the world system may hate us, we can, we can love the people who are trapped in the world system because God loves them, I guarantee you. God loves them, and he has a desire to sanctify them as well. And so the word of God, right from the very beginning here, Jesus prayed this prayer that the word of God can sanctify us, set us apart, make us different. So for that reason and that reason alone, the word of God is so important to us. I want to, for about four and a half minutes, I want to give you a really quick little history of of the Bible, just very, very fast, because I, I want you to grasp what we have when we hold on to this, or when we read in this, or on this, or whatever it is that we, we go to to get the Word of God into our lives. And there's a lot of different mediums now, it's pretty cool. <clears throat> but I want you to get a grasp of what we have in this. So initially, the early followers of Jesus, the early Christians, didn't have the Bible. Uh, they didn't have copies of the Bible to carry around with them. In fact, there was no New Testament. Think of this. People are following Jesus. They're learning to be Christians in that first generation up to what we would, what we would call the apostolic age up to about 100 AD. There was no scripture given in a way that people could carry around a copy of the word of God and know what God's Bible says. There were copies of the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. That was retained in synagogues, and you could go to the synagogue. And if you had a relationship with the, the synagogue priest, with some of the hierarchy there, they may allow you to look at some of the scrolls of the Old Testament and read some, some of the scripture. But that was not available to the common person. Certainly wasn't available for Christians to have that. And so as time began to progress, the crucifixion of Jesus is placed anywhere from about 27 to 32 AD. So it's about a four or five year span there. It's hard, really hard to nail it down, but most theologians will tell you Jesus was crucified in about 29 AD. Uh, Mark 
Well, let me back up for a moment. So from that time on, there was no gospel written. There was no written story. The stories of Jesus were communicated verbally. People would tell the stories. People who witnessed the stories would tell the stories. They'd tell them over and over. And the message of Jesus was kept alive by the stories that the witnesses told. I started to say Mark wrote his gospel. He was the first gospel writer. He, he set uh, to put into writing what he had, he had experienced, what he'd seen in about 50 AD. So we have a time gap of only about 20 years. In antiquity, when you talk about ancient literature, a 20-year time gap is nothing. There are certain time gaps people follow as authentic writings that have a 1,000 to 1,100 years time gap before the time it happened and the time it was written about. 20 years is nothing. It's like a movement of time. And so the gospel, the first gospel was written by Mark um, in 50 AD, and the last one was written by John in 90. So between 50 and 90, the four gospels were written, put in written form. And by 100 AD, by the end of the apostolic age, everybody follow me so far, there were actual written copies of the four gospels that we hold today. It wasn't until the end of the apostolic father age, which is about 170 to 200, that the writings of Paul had been gathered together as well and the writings of the inner circles. You realize the rest of the New Testament, other than the Gospels, was written by Paul. Paul wrote 14 of the seven, uh, 27 books, over half. This is a persecutor of the church. When this guy got turned around, he got turned around. Wrote 14 of the books. And then the rest of those books are written by the inner circle. Um, Peter, James, and John are the ones who wrote these, these letters and wrote stor the stories of their lives and the stories of their relationship with Christ. And so we have this all by about 200 AD. That was the first time that what we know as a canonized Bible came into existence. And it was, has always been believed that these verses were inspired by God. God breathed and given to us for the purpose of us being able to have a copy of the Christian books, which is the New Testament. And of course, the Old Testament lends itself to the New Testament. Heard the story, you know, that the, the, the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. We have them both. But the New Testament books are the books of Christianity. They're the life of Jesus, the teachings of his apostles. And that's what we live on. This book has been given to us by God as a way of us knowing the life and the heart of God for us. And there has been from the very beginning of time, there has been... Uh, movements to try to destroy the Bible, to try to remove it from the face of the earth. There were monks, there were hermits who protected the written scriptures, lived in caves for years to protect the written word of God so that it could be republished and rewritten. Everything was handwritten back then. It wasn't until 15, for, uh, 15, 1454, excuse me, 1454, when Johann Gutenberg in, in, invented the movable type and created a printing press, that the Bible began to be printed in mass, and that people were able to actually have copies of the Bible. Today, there are over 6 billion copies of this book in the world. There's 7.7 .7 billion people, and there's 6 billion copies of the Bible. That's almost one copy per person. The next closest, this is the, this is the most copied and sold book in the world. That would make Christians happy. This is the most copied and sold book in the world. The only thing that even comes close to it, the next one, the next closest, the second closest, is a little book called the Koran. Anybody ever heard of the Koran? This is printed in 600, this book is printed in 670 languages. The New Testament in over 1,500. And there's 6 billion copies of it, over 6 billion copies. The Koran has about 2 billion copies and it's written in 47 languages. Doesn't even come close to comparing with the impact that that book in your hand has had in this world. This is the book of life for us Christians. And because of that, 
we take seriously what God has said and what God has done. So what does the Bible say about itself? I got to get to my message. Enough introduction. <laughs> Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. You know why God gave us this? You know why he put this together for us? You know why he preserved it? Do you know why certain monks and hermits actually gave their lives and died to protect this holy script? You know why? Because God wanted us to have a light, a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. God wanted us to have illumination. He didn't want us to live in darkness. Somebody ought to say, thank God, that's awesome. See, we're living in th this season where we have, you know, this world, we, in the world right now, we have all this technology at our fingertips and we can so easily get distracted with other things. When God's put life, when he's put word, when he's put the truth that will sanctify our lives right into our hands. And I love this idea in that passage. If we could pop that back up again. That your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It shows me where I am. When we read God's word, it'll show us where we are. Where we are in a good way and where we might be lacking. And it's also a light for our path. What's that? Showing us where we need to go. It's showing us the next step we need to take. If we're not saturating ourselves in the words of God's Bible, if we're not saturating ourselves in the word, the lamp to our feet begins to dim and we, we stop really seeing where we are in our lives. We start thinking we're someplace we're not, either in, we think we're worse than we are or we think we're better than we are or whatever, we start, start thinking differently. When we look at God's word, it shows us who we are and, thank God, shows us what the next step is, shows us where we're going. You know what? We're not stumbling around in darkness. This world is a dark place. There's no question about that, but God has given us light. Where did he give us that light? Right here. Gave us his word, right? So a, light for my, a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Look at this one. Another, so, uh, by the way, the entire 119th Psalm is about the Bible. It's about the word. It uses word like your precepts, your commandments, your statutes, your laws, um, your word. And, and it uses that over and over. Psalm 119. Read Psalm 119. It's like a uh, hundred and some verses in there. I don't remember. 175 maybe. Verses 179 comes to mind. Anyway, read it because it talks about how important the Bible is in our lives. And I, I get this idea. Maybe I need to make room for the Bible in my life. Maybe I need to make room for this to not just be a book that sits on my shelf but this to be a word that lives inside of me. That doesn't just happen because I cuddle it when I go to bed at night. I need to have some interaction with this thing. Am I right about it? Nudge your neighbor say, I think he's right about that. Check this out. Another 119, Psalm 119 verse. 119 verse 9. Check it out. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. Now this is to us young people. Teaching us young people how to stay pure. I don't know about you, but I'm still young enough to be impure in my thoughts if I want to be. So as a young person, and I love saying that, as a young person, how am I going to stay pure? By, see, that's a weird word. Remember Bill Cosby had a little thing once, obey. So it sounds like pig Latin. Obey, what does that mean, obey? It means to do what it says, do what it told us to do. I've learned that it's much easier to read the Bible than it is to do it. <laughs> but how are we going to cleanse our ways? How are we going to keep ourselves pure? How are we going to make our lives pure by following after it? As a means of keeping our young hearts pure, obeying the word, doing what it says, following it. Here's another translation of that same verse, Message Bible. How can a young person live a clean life? Wave at me if you consider yourself a young person. How can a young person, good for you. It's awesome. Do it one more time. I want to look over this way. Ah, yeah, good. So how can a young person live a clean life? How are we going to do it, folks? How are we young folks going to live a clean life? 
by carefully reading the map of your word. What does the word do? It shows us the path, creates a map for us, shows us the way to go. There's another verse that says, this is the, the voice that whispers in your ear. This is the way walking it. Anytime you try to turn to the right or to the right or to the left, there's that voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. What's that? It's the map. It's the path that God has set before us. Another verse that tells us what the Bible is and what the Bible says about itself is in 2 Timothy. Chapter 3, check this out. Some of the verses, some scripture, a little bit of scripture. Oh, I'm sorry. You have a different translation than me. Just kidding. <laughs> All scripture, everybody say it with me, all scripture. All scripture is inspired by God. And all scripture is what? Useful. For teaching, for showing people what's wrong in their lives, for correcting faults, and for teaching how to live right. Using the scriptures, the person who serves God will be capable, having all that is needed to do every good work. Wow, that does sound very useful, doesn't it? I love this. Scripture is inspired by God. It means it's God-breathed. People wrote, people wrote the Scriptures, but they wrote as God inspired them. They wrote as God breathed into their life. People wrote as God inspired them to write. I've had that, that argument, you know, you get in conversation with people, I hear that argument all the time. Well, the, the Bible is just written by a man. Well, first of all, it was written by 40 of them. Not a man. It was written by 40 people. Uh, but the thing is, it was inspired. Every writing was inspired. The whole canonization process, I don't have time to go into, was a, was a monotonous, tedious process that people a long, long time ago went through to examine how scriptures was, were, were written, what it taught, what the consistency was, and whether or not it ought to be canonized and considered Bible or set aside. There's a lot of other writings that came out of the same period of time from the same people who followed Jesus around and saw what he was doing that did not get put in this canon because it didn't meet the qualifications to be canonized. And so this idea that God inspired this, and because God inspired it, God inspires something, it's useful. I expected a better response than that. When God inspires something, it becomes useful. When God inspires you, you're more useful than you were before. Right? God inspired these people and they wrote. Did they know they were writing the Bible? No, probably not. Unless God gave them some little glimpse that the, you know, people you know, 3,000 years from now are going to be reading your book, Isaiah. I doubt that's the case. Isaiah was writing to the people and the situations in his time. And he was getting inspiration by God that even reaches into our time and gives us wisdom and gives us insight. Incredible stuff. Cancel, no. Get out of there. So this idea of, of the Bible, my dad was trying to, trying to remove my message. Anyway, uh, the Bible is useful. Everybody say useful. useful. What is this thing? It is useful. What does it do for us? Can we pop that last verse? I'm sorry I keep doing that to you. Real quick, pop that back. Useful for what? For teaching? Is this going to teach me things? This has taught me so much about my life, about who I am, about my place in this world, about who I'm not. It's taught me a lot. You with me? Showing people what's wrong in their lives. You ever read a passage of scripture and it's like, man, I love God's word. And then it goes, oh, that hurt. If that's never happened to you, I pray it happens today. I pray you read something today that hits you so hard. It's like, wow, that really hurt. God hit me right between the eyes with that one. That's awesome. Shows us what's wrong in our lives. And I guarantee you, there is something wrong in our lives. <laughs> I've been doing this. I've been walking with Christ for 40 years. There's stuff wrong in my, li my life. You could ask my wife, but I forbid her to answer. There, there, is, there is stuff wrong. 
<laughs> what? So, yeah, yeah, forbid. <laughs> so there's stuff wrong. There is, okay, fine, I don't forbid her to talk. There's stuff wrong in my life, right? Sure, exactly. So the Bible is useful to show me what that is and to correct my faults. Teaching me how to live right. And then I love that 17th verse again. It says, using the scriptures, the person who serves God will be capable of having all that's needed to do every good work. You know what makes us capable Christians? Using the scriptures. Not just knowing that they're there, but actually using them, applying them, putting them into practice in our lives. So what do we do with the Bible? We have four options. There's four things. There's probably more than that, but today for time's sake, I'm going to narrow this down to four things very quickly that we can do with the Bible. The first thing we can do with the Bible, check it out. Say it with me. What can we do with the Bible? We can ignore it. That means it's sitting on my shelf somewhere, collecting dust. My Bible. I will attribute the silence to the fact that you're just waiting for the next step. Uh, this idea of ignoring the Bible, just paying no attention to it. I know it's there. You know, I haven't read it for months, but I know it's there. And I remember a couple of verses, so I'm good to go. Maybe not. Uh, using the scriptures, we become capable. Y'all with me? So first of all, we can ignore it. Uh, the, the thing about ignoring it is this takes no effort. Absolutely no investment of time, energy, resources whatsoever. And there's also no benefit from it. <laughs> Second thing we can do with the Bible is, look at that, look at that one. What, what can we do with it? We can read it. This requires a little more effort. We need to make room. We need to make space in our day. We need to make space in our time to be able to read the scriptures. We know what read means. Put your eyes on the words and actually read them. In fact, I, I find a lot of times when I read, I actually read out loud quietly, but I read out loud because I want, I want to be able to hear what I'm reading. There's a verse that talks about faith comes by hearing. I want to hear the words. So I don't always do this, but a lot of times when I'm just reading just to read, I read out loud. I read quietly, but out loud because I want to hear the word. And reading, I think, also out loud helps us to stay focused on what we're doing. Making space, making room in our minds for the Word. Third thing we can do with the Bible is what? We can study it. This requires a little more effort. Breaking down, okay, who's the author here? Who are they writing to? What are they trying to communicate? What are the verses around this saying? What's kind of the context? Having a good Bible dictionary or an encyclopedia. I'm not big on commentaries because commentators aren't always on track with, with everything that's going on. But I, I, there are some good commentaries. I'm not saying there's not. But if you can get an encyclopedia, a, a dictionary, understand the words, understand the culture, understand the times. That can help us receive things in a different way. And then the fourth and most important thing that we can do, but it doesn't happen without two and three. Number four is we can do what? We can apply it. But we can't apply what we don't read. We can't apply what we don't know. We can't apply what we haven't learned. Am I right about it? So first of all, we don't want to ignore it, so just leave that alone. Everybody's always going to leave that alone. We're not going to ignore the Bible. Am I right about it? All right, then. So let's just ignore that part. <laughs> so the next thing we can do is read the Bible. For many of us, this is the next step. I, I know I'm talking to the first service. I almost said first class. I'm talking to the first service here. And we are the people. We are the, I'm sorry about that. We are the people who got up and to be here you know, at 8.30 in the morning. And we're Bible people. And so I know I'm talking to the wrong group, but I'm, I've got to say this anyway. For many of us, reading the Bible is the next step. It's the first step. I'm going to quit ignoring. I'm going to start opening my Bible and actually reading it. In some Bibles, there's a preface 
in the beginning that has a read through the Bible in a year thing? Do you know that in the Old Testament there are 929 chapters? It takes two and a half chapters a day of the Old Testament to get through the Old Testament in a year. There's only 260 chapters in the New Testament. You can get through the year in 260 days, less than a year reading one chapter a day. So by reading three and a half chapters a day, you can read through the entire Bible in a year. That's not that much of an investment. Take you 15 minutes. Maybe if you're in Leviticus, 25. But other than that, I mean, it just doesn't, it just doesn't take that long to read the Bible and to read the Bible every year. I've been reading through the Bible every year for I don't even know how many years I usually get. Normally, I'm a little behind, I'll admit it, I'm a little behind this year. I normally get through the New Testament probably four or five times. I get through the Old Testament at least once, sometimes parts of it a couple times. I read the Proverbs every day. I read a proverb every day. There's 31 Proverbs, 31 days in some months. So you just read a proverb every day. You can continue to do that. There's so much wisdom in there. That's not really what I wanted to talk about. But in, certainly in a, in a certain amount of time, we can read the Bible. And there's a number of things that happen when we read the Bible. Man, this sounds so basic, but let's talk about it anyway. We read the Bible. First of all, we learn things. We learn things we didn't know before. We don't necessarily understand everything that we're reading, but we read it and we learn some stuff. True? Yeah. Secondly, we become familiar with biblical content. And somebody mentions Jacob, and we're like, oh, I remember him. I remember that name. Or someone mentions Nebuchadnezzar. People talk about him all the time. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, oh yeah, I remember him, the king of Babylon, sure. And we start making connections with things. We become more familiar with what the Bible says we start losing some of our bad doctrine. Like, well, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. Not even close. Sorry. We don't believe that anyway. But we start moving on from bumper sticker theology to real truth. We expose ourselves to truth because the word of God is true. And then we also receive illumination. We have these aha moments when we read the Bible. And something just goes off and we're like, whoa, I hadn't seen that before. And suddenly our life takes a whole new direction. Isn't that fun? Next thing we can do is study it. For many of us, this is the next direction. This is the next step. This is the path before us to begin to actually study the Bible, to have a desire to know. You look up the word study, it's an academic word that means to gain, complete, to gain more and more complete knowledge of a subject. Well, man, if we're Christians, if we're going to live our lives serving Jesus, why shouldn't we gain more and more knowledge of a subject? Why shouldn't we study this stuff a little bit. Like I said, a good Bible dictionary and encyclopedia, a good book about cultural uniqueness. We read stuff in the scriptures. We have to understand the culture that it was being spoken in. We have to understand the audience, the original audience that was hearing this, because that does have an effect on what's being said. You can't necessarily take everything, and this is tricky, you can't necessarily take everything in the Bible and appropriate it to today. If we were to do that, the women would be on one side of the building, the men would be on the other side, and women wouldn't be allowed to speak. I don't want that. So we can't take everything. We got to look at cultural stuff. We have to take things into consideration. This is where people get caught up in really weird stuff sometimes because they're not looking at culture. They're not looking at the transition of life from culture to culture and things do change. We all know that things change. Am I right about it? So study, I'm going to give this one more, one more time, kind of the actual definition. Study is this, the devotion of time and attention, or could we say making room? The devotion of time and attention to acquiring knowledge on an academic subject. Let's just become more academically in tune to what the Bible teaches and who Jesus is and what this whole thing is that we're part of. Because when we get more information about it, we get more and more excited about it. We are more intent about sharing the hope and making room for God to do great things in our lives. 
However genuine our Bible reading and our Bible studying may be, it has one purpose, and that is so that we can apply what God's Word teaches. That's the last point I brought up to apply it. Check this out. This is that verse we looked at a moment ago, 2 Timothy. All Scripture is inspired by God. This is a different translation. And is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I love this 17th verse in this translation. So that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. I really like that word proficient. It means competent or skilled in doing something. I ask you a question. Do you believe God wants proficient Christians? You think God wants Christians who are skilled at being Christians? Who are actually really good at it? That when they get around people who are broken, they're not judging them and condemning them and calling them names and being afraid of what they look like, but instead are speaking life and truth and hope to them. They're proficient at being Jesus followers, doing the same stuff that Jesus did. I remember back in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a, a movement going around, bumper stickers and stuff that said, we do the stuff. What's the stuff? The stuff that Jesus did. Well, let's just love like Jesus did. Let's make a difference like he did, right? So this idea of being proficient Christians, can I develop skills as a Christian? Could I possibly further develop my Jesus following skills? What do you think? Could I become more proficient at that? What's going to help me do it? I got to make room for God's word to live in me bigger than my prejudices. He said with a smile. Cancel. No. we got to fix this. Can I develop my people-loving skills? What do you think? Can I develop my people-loving skills? Can I grow in my people-loving skills? Hmm. What's going to help me do that? I read verses like, love your enemy. Could I actually develop my enemy-loving skills? Or could I get some? Enemy-loving skills? It's really easy to hate enemies, but how about loving enemies? Is that a skill I can learn? Can I learn to become more proficient, more competent at knowing the still small voice that tries to keep me on the right path? Can I become more proficient at knowing the heart of God, the voice of God, based on what he says? Not just this idea of just you know, hearing God. We want to hear God, but it has to be balanced with what he's already said. It's got to find balance in his word. Are you with me on this? Could I become more proficient in seeing the light for my path? Yeah, absolutely. So we don't want to ignore the Bible. We want to make room for the Bible. For some of us, that means we start reading it. For some of us, it means we start reading it differently. We start studying it a little bit. And I'm not talking about hours and hours of study, but just looking up certain things, learning certain things about God's Word. But most of all, beyond all of that, is if we're not engaging with God's Word, which, by the way, is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So this is, a, this is a, a writing that is alive, that has real life in it. And it can engage us, it can speak with us, it can interact with us, because it's alive. And so we, when we go to the Word, and we read the Word, when we study the Scriptures, what happens is we're given the tools that we need to be able to apply the truths of God's Word that make our lives complete and give us the privilege of sharing hope with those around us. As we make room for God's word in our life, God makes room in our world for us to be able to share the hope with people who need to hear hope, who need to know hope. This morning we're going to receive communion together. And there's a passage of scripture that talks about this communion. Paul spoke of it. And I want to read this for a moment, then we're going to pray. Paul spoke of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
I'm sorry, chapter 11. And as we're, as we're talking about this idea of making room, what does the Word of God say about what we're about to do? What does the Bible teach us about this communion? Paul wrote this. He said, I received from the Lord what I handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this, cup and, uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You know, folks, we would know nothing about communion if it wasn't for God's word. We would know nothing about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us if it wasn't for God's word. If it wasn't for God's word, we wouldn't realize the love that Jesus demonstrated, the sacrifice he made in the resurrection life that he embraced for us. We would know of none of this. We wouldn't know of his forgiveness and his salvation without the Bible. People have made room for the Bible in their lives, and that's why we know these things, because we've looked into the scriptures for ourselves and embraced them. When Paul was out preaching, he went everywhere preaching the gospel. And people would listen to what he said, but he was in one particular town called Berea. And it said the Berean people were very noble, and they searched the scriptures daily to see what, if what Paul was saying was true. How did they do that? They didn't even have a New Testament. What did they do? How did they search the scriptures? Here's what they did, and here's what they did up until the time, was the, time the Bible was written and placed in our hands. They took the teachings, the things that they heard about Jesus, and they compared it with the Old Testament prophets that they did have. And they read from the Old Testament prophets all these verses that we see today Jesus fulfilling as the Messiah. They looked at these verses, they began to search out these verses, and they listened to the story, and there was a witness in their heart that this is right, this is truth. And we still need that witness today, but today we also have the added benefit of making room for God's word in our life to encourage us, even in something as simple and as basic as receiving communion. We're not just getting up out of our chairs, walking to a table and having a little snack. We are engaging with the God of this world who loves us so deeply that he made room for us so that we could make room for him. For more information on New Covenant, contact us at 3318 Fifth Avenue South, Fort Dodge, Iowa. 50501. Or you can call us at 515-955-6222.